Welcome to episode 62 of Friends in Film, a podcast about its new news and theatrical releases. I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Straley. In this episode, we're going to talk about Domino casting, Thor's colorful new look, a ridiculous Fate of the Furious trailer, and more. Overview Kong Scar Island. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends in Film. Josh? Welcome to the pod, everybody. Hello, Cooper. We're finally getting into what I think is called like the spring of movies. I mean, I it's it's basically the summer season. Yes, I wanted to say March Madness of movies, but some of my favorite movies I'm looking forward to are actually in May, so exactly. it kind of killed it. Yeah. May Mayhem, maybe? But March Madness is like, I mean, as we are recording, it's not officially started yet. By the time you guys are hearing this, Selection Sunday will have passed. Uh, we'll have our field of 64 teams. So Yeah, right on. Exciting 67 times. 67 teams. Well, yeah, or... 68 teams. Yeah, with the playing games. Right. So Those are bogus. Yeah. Anyway, how Always was Always screw week? up the bracket. <laughs> yes. Uh, my week was good. How was yours? Uh, fantastic. I got to see Logan again. Yeah. Which... Better the f- second time? Better the second time because the you can wit- you can kind of witness the violence and you're not as shocked by it mm-hmm. and you pay attention more to Patrick Stewart and Logan and I'm just I'm amazed at how well of a, how good of a job that they did yeah uh, it it holds up um, I finally did get to see a movie that I should have seen a long time ago though a few good men I'd never seen it mm-hmm. and you know who that's written by uh, and it's good yeah it's my favorite Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> uh, and then I got to see Godzilla before the lead up mm-hmm. to Kong, which yes. is the movie we're doing. I liked it better mm-hmm. than the first two times I've seen it, but I don't know how it contrasts to this Kong world. Right. And we'll get to that. It's very different. But yeah, absolutely. So what about you? How was your week in movies and film and TV? Uh, well, one of the movies I watched this week was actually a recommendation from you. You gave him the pod. A long, I don't know how long it's been. A long time ago. Heavyweights. Oh yes, I, I've not seen it, and I, it was on Netflix. I watched it. Mm-hmm. It's just it's it's charming, you know. Yeah. It's just it's fun. Uh, ben Stiller is like the worst guy in the world, um, <laughs> yes. but he's still funny. He, he plays like three different characters or something. So mm-hmm. um, it just it was fun. Um, and then I continued my M Night Shyamalan go through of his filmography this week and watched The Happening. Oh yeah, Mark Wahlberg. Oh my gosh, that movie suck. Well, it was it was terrifying. Like the first time I saw it when I was like twelve years old, because people were dropping dead out of nowhere. Right, they're stabbing themselves in the neck with pens, and, and gr- the grandma was crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, no, not about it. No, I mean, I can. I I really like Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg as actors, and they're just both just so bad. Like, I don't I don't get it. I don't know how it's possible they could yeah. be so bad in the movie, but they did. And then. Outside of Kong, I also watched a movie I should have watched a long time ago. Uh, Mel Brooks's Blazing Saddles. That's the comedy, right? Yeah. Uh, not, so but it's, it's, it's basically a spoof western um, that turns into a lot more. But it's different than City Slickers. Yes. Okay, I don't, I don't, I've never seen Blazing Saddles. Oh, it's on Netflix. So uh, I would highly recommend it. It's hilarious. It's very, it's like inappropriate like now because they use the N-word a lot. But like in a comedic way almost like okay. uh <laughs> like there's a scene where like a guy keeps trying to say it and then there's like this bell that dings every time he's about to finish the words so mm-hmm. like what are you saying and like he just has like a lot of recurring gags it's really funny um i would highly recommend it. it's like an hour and a half so it's a good way to spend like a friday night or something so 
Oh, Gene Wilder. Yeah, Gene Wilder's oh. in it. Um, oh, I'm all going to be all about this. Yeah, it, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, but we do have some news to get to this week before we get to our view of Kong Skull Island. Uh, and we also have a giveaway related to Kong. So if you want to know more information on that, stay through to the end of the episode. And we'll give you information on how you can win a Kong Skull Island poster. But we're going to start with some news with the flyby where we just give quick hits on some news that dropped this week. And one of the interesting stories came from EW with an interview with Ridley Scott where he revealed that he has a plan for a Gladiator sequel as long as Russell Crowe will return. He's, he's apparently already been talking to the studio about making it happen. Would you want to see it? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, Gladiator's good. Uh, I like it. But there's no reason to return to that story at all. Uh, R- Ridley Scott's... Um, Anytime he journeys out lately to the the deserts and ancient Roman times, it just really hasn't paid off. I couldn't believe how bad Exodus was. Oh, that was yeah, that was yeah, not good. Not good. Uh, but maybe you like him when he's not doing an alien movie. I mean, I, lo- I I love The Martian. Um, that's one of my favorite movies of 2015 Same when it here. came out. Um, I really like Prometheus. I like uh, Alien. Like, yeah, I think he's a really good director as long as he can kind of be reined in or has a clear vision um oh, that's a good and point. i'm not sure and i and i really lo- i really like gladiator i love it um it's, it's fantastic from joking phoenix to russell crowe um but yeah i mean spoiler for gladiator but he's maximus is dead at the end of the movie so like right. I, and like apparently the the idea is potentially for like maximus to be exploring the afterlife Okay. I don't. I don't necessarily want to see that, and I feel like it almost hurt the Gladiator lore. I don't need a Gladiator franchise, so I think this is maybe really Scott trying to use his uh, his cloud a little bit and trying to get things done that he wants to that nobody else really wants to see. So for now, I think he should just stick to Alien, and apparently he could do that, as he told uh, Sydney Morning Herald that he already has a sequel written to Alien Covenant and it could even shoot next year. Ooh, well, I'm not surprised by this. No. Because, you know, in my head, Ridley Scott's got an entire bookshelf full of, you know, future Alien sequels, prequels, uh, and you know, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. Uh, but if it looks as good as Covenant's starting to look and getting, you know, positive thoughts about, I'm all about it. Yeah, I think uh, I would I would love to... I mean, I've... I want to wait and see Alien Covenant first before I jump totally back on okay. board with seeing more from Ridley Scott and the Alien franchise. But, I mean, sure. It's not surprising that he has a sequel idea ready to go because if Alien Covenant's a hit, you know, they're going to want to start production on that movie relatively quickly. So it makes a lot of sense. And he said, like in a separate interview this week, that he could see it going for six more films. So, like, he obviously <laughs> has very, very big ideas about what this mythology could lead up to and... Uh, like he said, Alien Covenant is going to answer some questions that Prometheus left us with, but it's also going to leave us with brand new questions. Of course. So I think he's just going to continue to try to ride this out as long as he can and just keep pushing Neil Blomkamp aside and trying to get his Alien movie <laughs> off the ground. Yeah, I don't think it's happening, Neil. Uh, another movie that's going to be hard to get off the ground it could be Bad Boys 3 with the hard reporters revealing that Joe Carnahan is left as the director. I, I, we talked last week about the, I mean, his schedule, Joe's. Yeah. This, I mean, this doesn't surprise me one bit. I'm hoping now with Bad Boys Three looking in peril, mm-hmm. Will Smith 
goes back to the Dumbo project. Tom Hanks comes back on there, and I get that movie that I kind of hyped myself for that it's not happening anymore. I don't know. I mean, they cast like Eva Green and Danny DeVito this week in Dumbo. Yeah. We're not going to talk about it in depth, but that happens. I don't know what if that takes one of Will Smith's roles. I, I, I have no idea. I like Danny DeVito, though. Yeah. I mean, but I'm still not still on Tim Burton. Disappointed but, about this? Yeah, because I, I thought Joe Carnahan really wanted to do Bad Boys 3, and now that he does it, I mean, I don't know what the rest of this movie is going to be like. I yep. mean, I fear that it's just going to be Michael Bay coming back to the franchise and he'll do <laughs> oh boy. Bad Boys 3 once now that he's quote-unquote done with Transformers. So, Has anyone pitched a Transformers Bad Boys crossover yet? No, but that'd be awesome. Okay. I mean, it'd that be, it'd, me it'd be super it. cheesy, but I mean, <laughs> seeing Will Smith and Optimus Prime uh, and maybe Mark Wahlberg and Bumblebee too, I mean, sure, why not? <laughs> Uh, we are also gonna have to wait even longer to see Avatar two because we haven't waited long enough, and the desire just keeps growing. The more you wait, obviously, allegedly, uh, as James Cameron told the star that it will not hit its t- previously announced twenty eighteen release date, which obviously will then push back the release dates for all the other f- three Avatar movies that have been announced. Uh, not surprising. I mean, what was it set? December 2018, right? Yeah, December 2018. And then Avatar 3 was going to be 2020. Avatar 4 in 2022. And then Avatar 5 in... Or, yeah, av- that, yeah whatever they, one's next. They, I've lost track already. Go on for the, the year after. So they're going to yeah. film them back-to-back, then edit them, then film the other two back-to-back. I don't know. This begs the question... I said there's no way it was happening in 2018 because the Star Wars had basically staked out the end of December. Mm-hmm. But if Han Solo's date still remains May of 2018, does that mean that we're going to get two Star Wars movies in 2018 and that third one is most definitely going, episode to, be, nine? going to be episode nine that's, and they're just running away from that date as fast as possible? That's my theory. That's my theory. I mean, there's been rumors that it's going to start production this summer. Holy you smokes. don't you don't need I mean if it starts production in summer of 2017 but it's not going to be released until May of 2019 or even December 2019 that's two or two and a half years of production and post production that's unheard of uh, yeah but and based on Lucasfilm's like production schedule recently with Star Wars movies a year and a half has basically been their target point so if it's starting in the summer of 2017 Releasing it in December 2018 seems very possible. Holy moly. And maybe that's announceable here and it's come a celebration. I mean, you never know. Um, the only hold up there, I know Mary Poppins is supposed to come out on uh, Christmas of 2018. So that's like a week apart. Another Disney property. So That's true. Enough for two audiences, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely not Star Wars and Mary Poppins are very different demographic target audiences. Definitely. So I think... That was exactly what I had written down, so I'm glad we're on the same page with uh, episode nine, possibly making 2018 release date. We'll have to wait and see if that actually happens or not, but we don't have to wait and see if Thanos will have any help in Infinity War as uh, Terry Notary, the guy who did the motion capture for Kong and Kong's Island, told The Hollywood Reporter this week that he'll be playing one of four of Thanos' henchmen in the movie. Ooh, Thanos has henchmen. I mean, he's got that guy he kind of talks to. Didn't he get, like, killed? Yeah, Ronan right. killed him. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, wonder what's going to go down with that. The, the the popular theory is that the Black Order is going to be introduced, which Who is like are they they sound awesome. Uh, they're basically just a 
the baddest of the bad like Heck alien yeah. group uh, that report directly to Thanos. And if Terry Notary is the right hand man of Thanos in the comics, that would could potentially add up to being Corvius Gleave, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, Cor- Corvius Glaive, whatever. Um, so it'd probably be a CGI uh, role based on his background. He also plays, uh, I believe it's Rocket in the Planet of the Apes franchise currently ongoing. So I think it's great that Thanos is going to have help because it means... And it, that's actually going to be characters because it means less giant CGI, you know, mobs of aliens that the Avengers are going to yeah. shamelessly destroy. Sure. So yeah. I think it sounds good. Um, I don't know how I feel about the new Fate of the Furious trailer, though, Josh. Oh, yeah. No kidding. I mean, when it popped up online, what were your first thoughts? This looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. There's a fine line between being like popcorn, a popcorn movie where you just go and enjoy it. And I don't know if Fate of the Furious can, is on that side of the spectrum where they're just making this to be as fun as possible. Or if they actually are taking themselves somewhat seriously. And in that case looks like a totally ridiculous movie. Okay, well, take me through it here, all right? It starts off with some of the stuff we've seen before, right? Uh-huh. Where did it lose you from popcorn movie to, okay, this is just too ridiculous? Um, it, it started to lose me when Charlize Theron started playing Hot Wheels with every single car <laughs> uh, in whatever city they're in because she could just automatically control every car with the flip of a switch and they're driving and crashing through buildings. I'm like... What is this? What is happening? Yeah. Um, and then the part where it definitely lost me was when The Rock is driving on ice. <laughs> yes. A torpedo comes out of the ice and is shooting past him. And he tells, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, Ludacris, I think. No, it's no, not he's Ludacris. He's in the tank. He's in the tank. Yeah. That's right. My bad. One of the other crew members, uh, he uh, tells him, grab the wheel. The Rock jumps out of the car and basically guides the torpedo to hit one of the enemy vehicles. <laughs> yes. So the rock can now aim torpedoes. I mean, he might yeah. as well have picked it up and just like rode on it or something. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure like the very, very end of the trailer, like Dom is like jumping oh over the submarine and like, he's and turning is, yeah <laughs> and so he hides behind like the very top of it so then torpedoes that hit him so i'm guessing that's the point where whatever control charlie's throne has over him uh wears off where he decides to turn against her or something yes and from then on it's dom with his team and then they're taking down throne but yeah. it, it looks absolutely ridiculous I, you know i i i tracked with it i mean okay it was a rehash it was a rehash it seems fun it seems fun then she lets she somehow is she's a she's the very definition of a high-tech terrorist yeah or is it cyber terrorism i think he, he, kurt russell calls her a high-tech terrorist oh thank you and, kurt russell yeah and she basically uses the Wi-Fi capabilities, the hotspot capabilities, the internet to hack smart cars and let them loose on the city. It makes for some awesome shots of, you know, Main Street, New York, just having like 200 cars just slide into mm-hmm. each other, causing the most epic of all traffic jams. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then there's this really awesome shot that I think I've, I saw them filming, and I saw a clip of them when they were filming it in Cleveland of all these cars falling, falling out, out of, of yeah, the yeah. parking garage. It looks awesome. 
But where it lost me was when, you know, the submarine was worrisome, but then the torpedoes from the submarine. I mean, it's logical to have that happen, but when, as soon as Dwayne did that, as soon as he punches the torpedo or whatever he's doing to I it. I mean, he basically looks like he like pushes it so it goes yeah. in a different direction, though it's not going to hit his guy anyway. So. Right. Um, and, you know, that, that I'm like, okay, okay, it, it's the rock. That's fine. But as soon as you see Vin Diesel take his car and like, you know, like you were describing, twist it or jump it into a ICBM. Like I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> There's no way he survives that. And uh, it just looks over the top ridiculous. And it's hard to imagine or hard to believe that this series from the first movie started off as just illegal street racing. Right. And and, rob- and like, you know, some low-grade theft, bank exactly. robbery or whatever. So... <laughs> I can't believe they're going this route, but uh, I don't think it doesn't look fun yet. It just looks really ridiculous. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. Like I started to get a little bit back on board with the Fast and Furious franchise around four or five or something. Where Six and seven, definitely. It was, it was so ridiculous that it was still fun and kind of cheesy and mm-hmm. we're... I saw, I think it was number four or five, I can't remember which one, in the theater with five friends. We were the only ones in there. And uh, we were just like laughing at the whole thing because it was just so ridiculous, but it was still fun. This one just looks like so dumb that I don't know if I can get behind it. And it this is coming from F. Gary Gray, who's a super talented director. So I don't know what happened to make this movie. Uh, hopefully... They proved me wrong come April, and this movie's actually like really fun, really great, has a good story, but I just don't see how that's possible at this point. Sure. Um, but a trailer that did win me over entirely this week was the trailer for Atomic Blonde, Charlize Theron's Holy new smokes. action spy thriller movie led by, uh, it's David Leach, the uh, former director of John Wick, who is now uh, moving on to do Deadpool 2. What'd you think? Uh, absolutely loved it. I mean, I didn't even know this was David Leach because my first line here was, it opens with all the thrill of in the action of John Wick mm-hmm. 2. And uh, I mean, as soon as she's gearing up in this elevator, breathing, and then all of a sudden she goes out there and it's one take for about 15, mm-hmm. 20, 25 seconds of her just beating the snot out of all these people in this hallway. And I'm like, holy crap. This is this is the vehicle that Charlize Theron should have had ever since she won her first Oscar for yeah. Monster. Uh, I was I was blown away by it. It's got an awesome cast. It looks like it's got some great deadpan humor with uh, James McAvoy mm-hmm. he, as this chauffeur that <laughs> just totally wrecks his car, but get, climbs out of it all casually, opens the back of it, and then hands her her luggage. And I just thought that was uh, completely hilarious. And um, as someone who is been all about John Wick this entire year, um, or at least last six months, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you lend it to me initially. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is, I'm all about this. Cold War, spy, awesome action. Well, let's go, man. Yeah. I mean, this trailer, like, I was interested in the movie because of the pairing of David Leach and Charlize Theron. I was like, okay, that could be really cool. Um, and it's it's literally Charlize Theron as a female John Wick basically set in the Cold War. And like it looks like she just absolutely kills it in this role. And I hope this is her big franchise. And if there's one thing that could good that could come out of Fate of the Furious possibly is seeing more of Charlize for a lot of people. And then oh, yes. they see the trailer for Atomic Blonde possibly in front of that and go, oh, I, want, I want to see 
that movie because yeah. Charlize was good maybe in Fate of the Furious. I have no idea. Like, hey, isn't that the lady who's the very definition of a yeah, high cyber terrorism? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, yeah, like you said, that beginning action scene, I was like, yep, this is exactly the movie I want. Uh, James McAvoy's in there being super sarcastic, kind of. I mean, he's not a nice guy. Uh, that I didn't know. I didn't know Sophia Boutel was in that movie, and then oh, I missed she, her. Oh, she, she's the French operative, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Which a hilarious joke where she's like, yeah. So you, he's like, you met her, I think. You've he's made like, contact. Yeah. She's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, you could say that. I'm like, that, okay. that's that's pretty good. Um. So I mean, it looks the action looks intense. I think Charlize is gonna kill it. It's got a great supporting cast. I really like David Leach. As director, I think it's a good primer for Deadpool 2 to see kind of what his style is going to be. So I'm totally on board for Atomic Blonde, and I think it's just adding to what's going to be a great year. And speaking of Deadpool 2, we now have our domino with Ryan Reynolds himself announcing this week that Atlanta actress Zazie Beetz will be playing the character in the sequel. So, oh, heck yeah. You um, like it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I've been raving about Atlanta since it premiered to you i don't you, uh-huh. you've gotten around to it yet i have not i've not okay. had a chance yet this is going to get you around to it yeah. um she plays donald glover's uh i think basically his ex his ex um mother of his child uh who is in is absolutely terrific uh vanessa i believe yeah uh so this getting her in front of a larger audience this is gonna be so kick butt yeah, I I've not seen Atlanta, but I am somewhat familiar with Zazzy. Um she was in um this other Netflix series that I can't remember the name of, but she played the girlfriend to uh uh Dave Franco. Um so okay. uh, she was funny in that. Um so I think this looks to be a good cast. Yeah, I know I've seen a lot of excitement about it. Uh, and I like the fact, even though I would have been on board with, you know, Kerry Washington was a name thrown around there, Janelle Monet was a name thrown around there. I would have been thrilled with either one of those. Um, but to get somebody who is lesser known, who's not going to maybe steal as much of the star power from Ryan Reynolds makes a lot of sense. Kind of, They're going to come at a cheaper price, and that gives them a chance to kind of break out in this character and be known as Domino, basically, moving totally. forward. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I'm excited to see what this means, uh, since she's going to be... Uh, Normally, she is like a love interest to Cable. So, if I don't know the age of Zazie, um, but I'm guessing she's late twenties, early thirties. So, I want to see what that target age range are going for with Cable. If they're going to go younger, um, I don't remember yeah, I if David only- Harbor fits in that age range or not. But it could be. I I think I'm just happy that means we're getting close to Deadpool yes. two starting up and what should be another great uh, marketing campaign from them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we also, moving over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, got a bunch of info on Thor Ragnarok this week, thanks to EW. They kind of just let everything out, um, including a bunch of new pictures. Were there any that stood out to you in particular? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I when Jeff Goldblum first <laughs> even said that there was a possibility that he wanted to be a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I lost my mind. And then it happened. And then now here he is uh, in all of his glory as the Grandmaster. And he's like Caesar Flickerman. Yeah. Only Caesar Flickerman was at a five. And... Jeff Goldblum is now at a 10. He just looks <laughs> so zany, and I cannot wait to see, you know, the kind of, kind of personality that they give to him. And if it's 
anything, you know, like characters that he's played in the past, somewhere between Ian Malcolm and Caesar Flickerman with like a little bit more sinister intentions. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be completely perfect. Um, What about you? Was there one specific? Because I mean, we saw Hela, Thor, and like a ton of people. Yeah, I mean, the Grandmaster one definitely was the one that first caught my eye because I was like, that's Jeff Goldblum in Mm -hmm. the MCU. Um, And we, I didn't, I didn't think we would see him this early on. I thought we probably would have saved him until like a trailer or something to reveal him. Um, and I was, I noticed obviously right off the way that if you know Grandmaster from the comics, he is all blue Grandmaster. This version, Jeff Goldman just has a little blue uh, strip on his chin. I think it's totally fine. I think that's a good, you know, breakaway from the source. I can't material. believe they're whitewashing the aliens. <laughs> exactly. Goodness. Um, but that definitely common attention. I didn't even recognize Kate Blanchett. At first, I was like, "Who?" I was like, "Wait, who is that girl?" Yeah, I. And I was like, "Oh my, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's Kate Blanchett." And I think that's one of the reasons I really like Kate Blanchett. Uh, just she is so transformative in all of her roles, where you can barely like. There's sometimes I'm like, "Wait, that was Kate Blanchett." I didn't even like recognize her. Basically, yeah. Um, the Indiana Jones role still gets me exactly. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I love seeing Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. I thought that was great. Uh, and I, I'm really digging uh, Thor's new look, the buzz cut, the war paint, the swords, no Mjolnir. Um, I think it all it all looks great. And I think the biggest takeaway for me from just the pictures themselves was they're just super colorful. They look, it looks fun. It looks bright, energetic. It looks different than all the Thor movies we've seen so far. It looks more on the line of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, yeah. And kind of even somewhat with Doctor Strange with all the colors and stuff. So if that's the movie we're going to see, I think that is great um we also saw a picture of mark ruffalo and chris Hemsworth on set together and it's kind of unclear if it was like an actual like photo from the movie or if it was you know maybe it was mark ruffalo's first day on set and then it was him and chris like meeting or seeing each other for the first time in a while and kind of you know embracing and saying hi and stuff uh if not that's interesting because that means banner has somewhat of control over the hulk in Sakaar, which is like the the gladiator ring that Grandmaster runs, and that's where you know Thor and Hulk are going to fight it out. I don't think that's the case because yeah, in the picture, Mark Ruffalo has like glasses. He's wearing a nice suit. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. either they have very nice clothing all the way out there in Sakaar, or this is not actually Bruce Banner. Right. I'm inclined to think that it's more just Mark Ruffalo was visiting that day, or that was his first day on set or something. So he was just saying hi to his old pal. Um, that was something that caught my attention. Um, I also, there was a quote from Taiko Atiti who meant that mentioned that, uh, he was inspired by the tone of big trouble in little China, another Kurt Russell, uh, movie from the eighties for the tone because it's, it's fun, but also takes itself kind of seriously. And he thinks Chris Hemsworth can be somewhat of that comedic lead, but also be very action heavy. Um, have you seen big trouble in little China? Do you I like that? I've not seen it. All right. I'll, I'll let you borrow some. Okay, yeah, it's, let's do it. Yeah, it's it's super fun. Um, it's it's really weird, but it also I think that makes that comparison to Thor Ragnarok that much better. Um, Especially if we're going to be in space with lots of aliens. Exactly, and how wacky that could get. So I, I really like that comparison with how I think that tone is going to transfer and make this this Thor movie even more different. Um, there's also a quote from Watiti that said that this is basically going to be a reinvention of the franchise. Good. Which I really like. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really like the first Thor movie. Second one to a lesser extent, but I still find enjoyment in it. Um, but if, but right, everything I've seen from this looks 
so much better than the previous ones. Yeah, definitely. I mean, by the end of The Dark World, you kind of ran out of fuel with how far you could get with Natalie Portman, Kat Dennings, and um, whoever was playing their the father scientist guy whose name escapes me, but is really great in all the roles he does. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm forgetting him. But this is going to open it up for ev- like you know a lot more Guardians of the Galaxy like fun, but like you were describing oh, a serious a serious tone. Yeah. Um, one question about Kate Blanchett: Do you mm-hmm. think that's going to be her final appearance, or are they going to deck her out with some CGI? Uh, in her appearances, you know, uh, I think, I mean, she's going to have some CGI work done. I mean, there's been concept art of her wearing her super crazy headdress where That's it's like right. spikes going everywhere, basically. Um, so I'm guessing they'll add that in at some point. Uh, it looked like from the picture and then like the coverage she had on EW that there's a couple of different looks that she'll have yeah. one more all black and then one closer to being green. Um, it was so, very grounded. And yeah. I, that's what, that's what, that's what surprised me the most about it. And I, and I like it. So I really hope they don't go over the top with whatever, um, whatever visuals they may need to give to make her the leader of the underworld or whatever her title is. Yeah. She's the, they're referring to her a lot as the goddess of death. Uh, which leads a lot more credence to a lot of fan theories that she is basically being the replacement of Lady Death in the MCU, which, if that's the case, is going to give her a bigger role potentially moving forward, Sweet. allow for her to appear in Avengers Infinity War, have some interaction with Thanos and everything, uh, which would be great. Um, there was a mention of, I think, one of the areas where she'll have some CGI that she said that she can basically form weaponry um, out of her uh, abilities and stuff. So she'll get like some daggers and stuff, uh, magical stuff. So some little things that that will get some CGI work on. Um, the last thing from it, uh, Tessa Thompson said that uh, Valkyrie basically works for the Grandmaster, which I think is interesting because she's the one that's going to basically show Grandmaster, hey, uh, Thor's here. <laughs> you oh. should throw him in a match. Yeah. And uh how she goes from that point to then helping Thor, maybe going along with this journey hmm. uh, with her and Hulk, I think will be very interesting to see. Um, I think there's a lot of moving parts and I'm glad that we have photos now because it means that we're that much close to a trailer. All right. Well, I have one question for you before we go okay. on and that is Thor's buzz cut. Yes. Is very prominent. Mm-hmm. Every photo that he's in, but we know for a fact at the end of Dr. Strange, Thor has got full head of hair. Mm-hmm. So my question is, is that actually, is Thor's quest for Odin, his father, is that happening in the beginning of the movie? Yeah, I would, I would think that's most likely the case. I mean, I think it'll play out where Thor, because like they released a little bit of the plot stuff where it's like Thor finds out that Loki has been playing as Odin. I think that'll happen the first minute or two of the movie. He'll go back to Asgard, confront Loki, say, where are you? Um Hela will break out of prison somehow, kind of take over Asgard a little bit. Loki realizes, I should probably help this change a little bit. And then they'll go to find Odin. They'll find him, bring Odin back. And that's when Hela kind of takes over for real and is like, I don't care if you have your brother, your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle. I don't care you have Thor. I'm going to destroy you and your world. That's when she destroys Mjolnir, possibly. He loses his hair for some reason. I don't know how that works. Samson. Yeah. Type deal. Um, yeah. And then he's banished away and Loki teams up with Hela or something. Oh, awesome. So I don't know how it's going to work exactly, but I think that that could could work. I just noticed that and that really struck me. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the lot. 
I personally like the short-haired look for Chris Hemsworth in the Thor character. I think it makes him look more like Braveheart, especially the war paint yeah, and stuff. That's what I thought. <laughs> Even though I guess in Braveheart he has the mullet, so it's kind of the opposite. But it ma- see, it makes him just look more like a warrior. And I'm like that. If I saw that, I'd be more scared than you know a guy with like long flowing hair yeah, less, holding le- a hammer. Less so. Fabio, more uh, some other warrior. yeah, more <laughs> so, gladiator. Let's move to a uh, another sort of warrior. Well, she's not a, not a sort of warrior. She is a warrior in Wonder Woman. Uh, there were some set visits uh, that dropped this week coming from the edit bay visits that a lot of outlets got to do. Screen Rant was one of those outlets, and they talked to Patty Jenkins, and she told them that she has many ideas for future Wonder Woman installments should the first movie be successful. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean we haven't had any critical reception to this film yet or anything like that, mm-hmm. um, which I hope is good. But I, what I hope even more than that is it makes a ton of money so that Warner brothers will green light sequels. Yeah. I really, really want to fall in love with wonder woman. Well, here's the thing because we know we've talked, we talked a lot about the DC slate and everything Yep. and where movies could potentially fit in, but we haven't had to deal with a sequel yet really. So that's true with, if wonder woman comes out, and it breaks a billion dollars or something, and people are raving. It gets a ninety percent Rotten Tomatoes. Gal Gadot's the breakout star of the year, basically. Warner Brothers is going to want to make that movie quick, which is only going to delay the release of other installments. I think realistically, there's a chance we get another one, another Wonder Woman movie by 2019, maybe 2020. I think 2020 at the latest. If Wonder Woman is is a success. We will have uh, a woman sequel, and I'm glad that they're already planning a little bit to go. I have ideas. I feel like it'll kind of follow the Captain America franchise a little bit, where this is their period piece. One Woman Two will be all about her in a post Justice League world, where she's realizing, kind of learning how she fits into the rest of the world. Yeah, I hope so. Fingers crossed that I love it, and fingers crossed that uh, Patty Jenkins gets some green lights to go forward with all of her ideas. Yeah, and I think if we have to wait even longer for a Wonder Woman 2 possibly, I think it could be because maybe she takes over Justice League 2. So, I oh, think that would be I think if, I think if Zack Snyder doesn't do it, it's Matt Reeves or it's Patty Jenkins or it's an outside hire. But I think it's Matt Reeves or Patty Jenkins if, you know, WB is happy with their work so far. Um, but we also got a little bit of uh, plot info for Wonder Woman as well with Patty Jenkins indicating that Dr. Maru, played by Alina Anea, will be one of the key villains in Wonder Woman and will look to bring damage to other people because of her backstory and everything. So we've seen a shot of her in the trailers so far. She's the one with like the kind of cracked mask on her face. Um, she, she throws like the poisonous gas on the hallway and stuff. So this isn't a surprise, but I think she'll basically just be a pawn in the larger scheme that will eventually lead to what is rumored to be a reveal of Ares being involved at some point. Yeah, we've talked about that. And I in this in that piece that kind of describes Patty talking about Mara, it really sounds like she's going to hopefully break the mold of comic book villains being very static. Mm-hmm. And um I really hope that's the case because you you never want to see someone, you know, be underwritten. Yeah. Um in a way that you know, makes you want like wonder what their motivations were. So, um, this, this sounds great. Like she's kind of, she goes on in the article to describe, uh, 
how her backstory shapes her work today. Mm-hmm. Um, she had pain, so she wants to bring pain to it. So that could open the door for some interesting dynamics between her and Wonder Woman, and especially if she's not really acting with with malice because that's what she decided to do and mm-hmm. was more so prompted by an Aries yeah. that could lead to, you know, a really interesting dynamics. So yeah. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, we also don't have to worry about the DCEU movies and their storyline narratives being static. They'll be very, very different as we move forward with producer Charles Roven telling comicbook.com that uh, not only are we going to see more flashbacks, oh which is not a surprise. We've seen flashbacks in countless movies all the time. The DCU's already used them a lot of times before Man of Steel and Suicide Squad and mm-hmm. BVS and everything uh, to set up these characters and flesh them out even further. But they're also going to use flash forwards to indicate where the universe could possibly be going, what? which seems like the biggest mistake you could do in a world where the possibilities are literally endless. Pre-write your destiny? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that's interesting. You hate you. You don't hate background. You don't hate flashbacks, but you like linear stories. Am I yeah, right? I like linear stories. I mean, I get that they have to do flashbacks because otherwise, from the way I perceive things, when Justice League comes around, all of those characters are for sure established. You know, pro heroes basically, where they know their powers. They don't have to work through any kinks, mm-hmm. like. Barry's going to know how to phase through things. Aquaman's going to know how to do whatever Aquaman does. Like Cyber's going to know how to program and you know tap into all this electronic stuff. They're not going to have to like, oh, wait, I don't know how to do this yet and stuff. So like if you're going to show any of their struggle or their actual origins, flashbacks are a necessity. And I get that because otherwise we don't have any feel for what these characters used to be as a regular human being. Yeah. So I get that. It's totally cool. But I don't get why you would put flash forwards in a movie because, I mean, they did it in BVS kind of with that flash scene that really confused a lot of people, including myself. Where, But I think flash is time traveling, so that's kind of different. Right, right but he, I think he, he showed them a possible future. And I think that's, I don't, I don't think that future that is shown is ever going to transpire on screen. But if like Aquaman ends and it's, you know, a... 20 years in the future and then it's like Jason Momoa without a hand and like you know sitting by the like the grave of Mira or something you can be like well oh, what yeah, that would be totally crazy and then like you're just like then for the next all those movies you're just wondering well when did she die what is this when she dies and it's just like I feel like that's just a weird way to do it instead of just having to be a complete shock to whatever events you're going to try to hint at with a flash forward just let it happen organically and that way it's just a surprise in that movie instead of maybe trying to toy with audiences, you know, feelings and stuff going, Oh, is this where it's going to happen? Is this what's mm-hmm. going to happen? How does this lead to this? Like, I don't necessarily love that idea. Yeah. So this is, I kind of took it a different way. Not so much that they were going to, um, exploit future timelines and the many worlds theory and the dimensions and mm-hmm. all that jazz. I thought of it sort of as when they would set, when they do period pieces or they do movies, um, that are, basically in the orbit of BVS and ju- the Justice League films. Like think of those as the, the columns that hold the DC universe together. Mm-hmm. And anytime a movie appears before or after that, there'll be flashbacks that correspond to an event there or their origin story mm-hmm. or a friendship or relationship. And the flash forwards will be the ones in the past when 
you see something hinted at and then it kind of shows you something that happened in the future and how that relates to it. Yeah. It's very it's a very messy way to tell stories. Yeah. I, I think it's crazy that they would even try it if this is exactly how they're going. But uh, I'm always down for different. Just yeah. don't make it, you know, so different that I'm confused about, you know, is this like a memento thing? Is this right. actually happening? <laughs> exactly. You know, what's you know, what's going on there? That would be the absolute worst way to go yeah i think your flash forward explanation could make sense i'm just personally against them continuing to do you know movies that are basically prequels to the heroes we know now because if you wanted Mm -hmm. to tell those stories just start there and move forward i understand from wb's perspective they're looking at marvel and even if they don't want to admit it that it's it's their it's their quote-unquote competition yeah and they're thinking we need to get to a vet we need to get to our justice league because if we don't and we take the time, Avengers is going to have a fourth movie out before we can have our first Justice League, and that's right. unacceptable. This is a way to build artificial depth to your characters or, you know, make it feel like exactly. you've been with them longer. Yeah. Like when you watch Civil War, you've been with Cap for two movies mm-hmm. already, so you've got those feelings, you've got those events from his past. So when you do flashbacks or flash forwards, you have this kind of idea like oh i remember that oh no it's sad that that's why she was the way she is or he is the way he is because his parents died or you know whatever the case is yeah like yeah i don't i don't have a problem with flashbacks entirely as long as they work well yeah um so i mean as as long as this doesn't mean that every opening credits is going to be like bvs and we're going to tell the person's origin through (laughs) yeah you know slow-mo you know (laughs) scenes and stuff (laughs) I'll be okay. Why is every movie opening with Batman's parents dying? Yeah. I don't even. What is this? Yeah, like I like I liked the like in the Incredible Hulk. You know, to do another Marvel comparison, opens with a retelling of Banner's origin and how he yeah. becomes Hulk. I think that worked great because you get to skip the Hulk origin, and it it worked for that movie because we'd just seen a Hulk movie a couple years before. Same thing with Spider Man. You don't need to tell a Spider Man origin story anymore because everybody knows it. We've seen so many movies about it. No, not a lot of people know the Flash origin. Not a lot of people know Aquaman's origin. We got a little bit of Cyborg's origin in the, you know, that secret email chain. Right. Um, yes. But, yeah, I mean, I think this could work. I'm hoping it does. hoping for the best. But I am a little hesitant of what it could mean. It's a symptom of what the studios are wanting, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, but move, sticking with WB and what they could want, apparently they are 100% interested in, in making an R-rated DC film, according to the rap, as long as it fits the character. Oh, that's shocking. So, obviously, this uh, coincides directly with the recent success of Logan, last year's success of Deadpool. There's a lot of people going, R-rated, R-rated super movies are a new thing. You're going to make money with them. It's just a guarantee. You will, as long as they're good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't think WB needs to be rushing to make a R-rated movie. Definitely not. I think there are some possibilities with their announced slate that could make sense with an R rating. So like if you're going to make a Lobo movie, you could definitely do that R rated. And I think it would definitely fit that character. You could do an R rated Batman. I don't think it's, ne- it's necessary, um, but it, it, it could work. Yeah, um, I suppose if Mel Gibson does suicide squad two, an R rated suicide squad two would make sense for me. If it goes darker, more violent, um, it fits a lot more with, what Mel Gibson style is as opposed to what they set up, you yes. know, uh, that first Suicide Squad movie to be in that tone. 
Um, and if you want David Ayer to do his movie, I think an R-rated uh, Gotham State Sirens could work as well. But again, I think really only Lobo is one that pretty much needs an R rating. And I don't want to see them just going, well, here's our R rated movie yeah. because we want to try to rake in some of that, you know, Logan and Deadpool money. Mm-hmm. Now I, I did some, did some research myself okay. and pulled up one character that we've talked about in passing once or twice, mm-hmm. but I think makes a perfect R rated superhero, commie, com- comedy, dramedy, okay. drama, dramedy. Wow. I can't believe I said that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, booster gold, Really? The time-traveling superhero who goes from the 25th century to the 20th century. So why the R rating? Why the R rating? Because mainly the guy is a Tony Stark wannabe self... Not, okay, well, he's he's like a Tony Stark of the 80s. Mm-hmm. He time-travels back to that decade and uses the future technology he brings back with him to create a startup and make himself rich. And then while seeking fame and fortune and trying to discover how to be a superhero... And then he kind of just follows that through right into the 21st century, Batman, Superman, et cetera. Yeah. So I think it would be fantastic because one, you could get somebody, you know, someone who can play a superhero, but also play somebody, you know, just trying to figure it all out. Two, it's a period piece set in the 80s. So you can jam it full of 80s pop music and soundtrack the movie and have that as your score. And then, two, the guy ha- meets with President Reagan in some of the comics, and there's all these ways that um, a guy, a superhero seeking fame, um, could run into trouble or that you can mix up with uh, all the elements that an R-rated comedy could have. Superhero comedy. Yeah. It wouldn't be for the insane action, but you could certainly use it. But I think, I think he's, just, he's obscure enough, but mm-hmm. he has such a great story that you could easily get people to jump on board with it. I think you could. I mean, I feel like that basically if you put Channing Tatum in Booster Gold and make oh, it yeah. like 21, 22 Jump Street, but without Jonah Hill, then it could work, I guess. Um, I just don't necessarily think that, I mean, Booster Gold's not a, not a crass, you know, guy. He's not somebody that's like very vulgar in his words, at least not as far as I've been introduced to him. Um, so I, again, I don't know where the R rating would come from unless he's, or maybe his sidekick or somebody's making super inappropriate jokes. It would be or a reinventing. He is, or if like he is going the Tony Stark round and he's just sleeping with a lot of women and you're just getting like some art as sex scenes in there, which would seem like an odd choice. It'd be over um, the top. But again, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. But hopefully, WB just does what is right for these characters. And if they do that and they tell a good story, I don't think the rating is going to make or break these movies. If you make a great Suicide Squad 2, it can be done PG-13 or R. It doesn't matter as long as you have a great story to tell. People will see it. And as long as the quality is you know, great, then mm-hmm. you're going to make your money. You don't have to slap an R rating on there. Uh, it would help because you're going to probably decrease the budget for that movie because you don't make $150 million R-rated movies. It just, it just doesn't happen. So... Again, just make a good movie and everything will uh, work out for itself, WB. Um, and now I guess we will figure out whether or not they made a good movie in Kong Skull Island. Oh, yes. Josh, what'd you think? Well, um, okay. So good movie. That seems like that's a good baseline. Um, and I think it Kong just slides across the finish line <laughs> of a good movie. Uh, and 
I loved everything around the movie. So uh, I dug the 60s, 70s opening credit montage where they actually took the time to go through, you know, directors, mm-hmm. editors, executive producers, which you don't see in movies at all. But it also served as this setup to let you know, hey, this is, our, you know, the Vietnam history. So, yeah. you know, we're in the 60s. Okay, we get it. Um, which was, which I thought was fantastic. I loved the Vietnam War setting. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson, Sam Jackson, John Goodman, all fantastic in their roles. Um, and the, the soldier team. You know, I think I criticized aliens because they went a little bit over the top with, you know, buddy buddies, military, you know, future Marines. But I really dug the chemistry that all those guys had around it. It had a really great feel to it. Um, the, the beat the Soviets mentality, that, that's how their project gets funded. Loved it. Thought that was fantastic. Um, The part that I was so unbelievably fascinated with or just loved was Kong and his his fight scenes. Um, Visually incredible. Uh, It blows the Peter Jackson one out of the water. And I... And all it's all around the face. Mm-hmm. Like motion capture has done wonders since you know 2008, and I, I uh, just thought that was absolutely awesome. Um, watching him rip those copters apart is the most satisfying part. Even though you're, you're doing it to the heroes you like, mm-hmm. you know, you want to survive. I was like, oh man, this is just so cool, and uh, I loved it. Um, uh, and then in terms of like you know origin story and the history of Skull Island. I thought that was um, I thought that was fantastic too. I mean, it it kind of bumps into Godzilla enough, like where we where you've heard that, but then you finally get a more of an explanation, which I thought was perfect. Uh, but my problems with it come from the meeting of the two. There's two different tones here, and one of them is an Ocean's Eleven style. This is a uh, poppy gather the crew type adventure then the other is apocalypse now where everyone is ultra serious sam jackson's on this plot for revenge for his men and john goodman is kind of in the middle between i'm doing a comedy action monster movie and i'm being a very serious filmmaker you know so yeah I, i that didn't kind of work for me but everything else pales in comparison to john c Riley. It, it the movie is absolutely his he he finds the perfect balance between just completely loony and uh a guy that you kind of want to be best friends with <laughs> uh and his his opening story is fantastic and um seeing him through some of the action scenes was awesome and i was all about it uh, so overall though i would give the movie 3 and a half ticket stubs got its problems mm-hmm. but i enjoyed watching people that i love in film run around and being chased by you know monsters and watching king kong kick some butt yeah uh yeah for me coming out of the movie i was pretty i was right on line with you like a three and a half ticket stub movie but the more it just sat with me the less i've, oh, I've come really? to i've come to like it um i'll get i'll get i'll get the the good stuff out of the way first okay. i thought there's just like the trailers the there are some really good shots and just like kind of 
you know, breathtaking visuals of, you know, setting up Skull Island, the shots of Kong revealing himself or whether it's, you know, an explosion behind his back, just showing his silhouette or him bursting through flames, coming out behind a mountain. Like there's some really good shots in there. And the color palette, which was one of my favorite things about the trailers, because it's just it's super orange and yellow and red. And it just it looked it just felt right for that kind of movie. Um, that was consistent with the movie. So I liked that. And Kong was great. Like, there's no doubt about it. I think, I think he's, he's basically on par with the Peter Jackson version. Um, I don't love that movie, but Kong and his relationship with Naomi Watts and everything, that's, that's what holds that movie together. And I think Andy Serkis as Kong is just as good as uh, Terry Notary does is Kong this time around. Mm -hmm. Um, he is the star. Whenever he is on screen, I was, I was locked in. Uh, his action scenes, whether he's you know tearing limbs off of an octopus or oh, yeah. uh, he's fighting skull crawlers or whatever it may be, um, it all it all works. The problem is he's like the only character I really liked. Yeah. <laughs> outside outside of John C. Riley, I'll give you that one. He is he is funny in the movie, but there's also some jokes of his that don't land. Uh, which makes it kind of awkward as a viewer then because I feel like I should be laughing and I'm not. Um, I just felt like it was a really, like I was really hyped for this movie. So maybe it's kind of my own fault that I was, you know, but I don't think it's my fault because you sold me on a good, on a really great movie by the trailers. And I mean, just going through the cast, Sam Jackson, Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson, John Goodman, Corey Hawkins, Toby Kebbell, Jason Mitchell, Shea Wiggum, and more. I was disappointed by all of them. I mean, I like those people as actors, but I don't really like any of their characters. Like I was like, oh, okay, like Brie Larson's on screen. That's cool. Wait, what's, what, what's your character name? Who are you? Yeah. What are you like? It's so forgettable that, um, like I, I know Brie Larson plays Weaver and that's it. That's the only character name I know. Um, it, I only know that because I'm a big fan of Brie Larson. So right. that one stuck with me. Um, all the rest of them, I mean, half of them are playing that, that group of soldiers that are, you know, basically just waiting to be killed off by the various animals that are on Skull Island. Um, and in that respect, Skull Island was cool because there were so many different beasts and so many ways to die. <laughs> There's one in particular with a, like a spider that is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe they got away with it in PG-13. Yeah, I was Ooh. like... Wow, you like I don't I don't know the MPA system for like deaths and everything, but I was shocked that made it into a PG thirteen movie. I think because we didn't see like a like a master shot of the the actual piercing, and it was just yeah. kind of like implied that you could see this thing coming out of his. But mouth. they showed they showed it remove. Oh, and that's like, right. And that was collapses. yeah, that was it was gross. Um, but that was that was cool. Um, unfortunately, I thought this was going to be a big breakout for Jordan Vote Roberts as a director. But I, I don't love the way he kind of paced the movie, edited it together. Yeah. I don't know how much control he had over that stuff. Um, the script was like, it was by three guys. One was Dan Gilroy, who did Nightcrawler, a movie I love. Um, it was him, a guy who did Godzilla, and the guy behind one of the guys behind Jurassic World. So all movies that I like. And then in this movie, and all, all those movies have characters that I really like as well. But then they just give nothing to these guys. They're just like, well, they're all gonna die eventually, right? So, why are we? Why are we gonna put time to build in backstories? Like, mm -hmm. sure thing. I know, Brie, I know Brie Larson takes photos. I know Tom Hiddleston is good with a sword. 
I know Sam Jackson doesn't want to retire. Yeah. Um, and John Goodman and Corey Hawkins are just like, are there to be proven right by their theories. Toby Kebble has a son. Yeah. Dear Billy. Um, and that's it. Like, that's all I know about those mm-hmm. guys and the rest of the, the rest of the crew, all they just all want to go home. They don't even want to be there. So like, there's no reason for me to care about the characters at all. Um, and I think, I think there's a better concept of a movie in here and I'll get to that in spoilers, but, um, the script I thought really, really hurt the movie along with, uh, again, I don't know how much input vote had on what Roberts had on the directing style of the movie and how it was edited together, but the movie starts and it's all, it's kind of like suicide squad where it's upbeat music and you're going from one character to the next character to the next character, to the next character forming this group together. And I think they're trying to avoid, I mean, a big criticism I have, and I know a lot of people have with Peter Jackson's version is we have to wait an hour and a half basically to see Kong. Yeah. And they waited 15 minutes, 20 minutes tops to see Kong. Yeah. 25. Um, and I think, to do that, I think that's the detriment of the characters where they're, they're, they're rushing to get to Kong where they don't build up any of these characters. Um, so because there's just so little for me to like hold on to, um, I'm going to give it two and a half ticket stubs oh, out of five. Wow. That, okay. I'm actually shocked by this. Yeah. Uh, so was I. <laughs> okay. Well, can we, it was, it was a tough grade to do. I mean, I changed it like three or four times. Let's, let's start with where we agree. And obviously it felt like the first time I saw the trailer for this movie and saw the run-up to it, heard about the run-up, saw the trailer. I thought something in the same vein as Godzilla, only Apocalypse Now vibes, mm-hmm. Vietnam, they're on this island, and sure enough, Godzilla's there too. Not Godzilla. King Kong, Kong, is, there, yeah. Kong is there too, along with all these other monsters. And it was going to have that familiar, this is very dramatic, there is no brevity except for maybe a, a few a few jokes early on and then maybe near the end. But we got we got more of like an action hero movie um, where it was about half serious because the villains were there, but then half, you know, lighthearted. We're here to, we're going to survive fun. And that was with Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson and their crew, and especially when John C. Riley shows up. Yeah. It, that, that really caught me off guard. And was that like your biggest problem with it or was it just the entire editing of the the story together. Yeah, I think it was just mainly that, you know, I you know you go into this movie, or I did at least, you look at this cast, you go, this is gonna have great performances, great characters, characters I'm going to love, and they're they're going to work with Kong at some point. They're going to work against him at some point as well. And throughout the whole thing, I'm just like, man, can like, can somebody die that brings Kong back into the story or something like? I just, I needed more Kong because it just, the rest of it was boring. I didn't care about, you know, these character moments they tried to have where, you know, it's Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston talking about their past and Tom Hiddleston saying, you know, my, I never really met my father because he died. And, uh, are we in spoilers? Yeah, we're in spoilers. Okay. So, and I thought they were for sure setting up a reveal that John C. Riley was Tom Hiddleston's dad. Mm-hmm. because he's like, oh, my dad, you know, he left, you know, back when I was young, go be in the war, his plane crashed, and uh, he was, he never, he, he was presumed he was not dead, you know, then I'm like, this is literally John C. Riley's character, and then John C. Riley is like, near the end of the movie is like, 
you know, I, I just, I want to get home so I can meet my son that I haven't seen in such a long time. And I was like, have they ever made a point to mention this guy's last name? Because I don't think they have. And I I was like, I just, I was preparing myself for the moment where they're going to say, you know, all right, what, what was your name again? And then like, they'd shake hands and be like, oh, it's, uh, it's John Jacobs. Like Jacobs, that's my last name. Oh my gosh. You're my dad. I'm like, they're going to, they're going to do some cheese moment. They didn't do that. So I was kind of happy, but I was like, I was like, if they did that, it would have at least kind of built up those characters a little bit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I was like, even the cheesy character moments, they couldn't deliver on. And yeah. that's, I think that's just where it hurts a lot, where I was like, I'm not going to remember any of these characters ever. Like, I at least, I, I know Godzilla is not a perfect movie, but Godzilla just, it's Aaron Taylor Johnson's movie after Brian Cranston dies. Yeah, and you remember, oh, they killed Brian Cranston early because... He had to die, so there's a relationship with the son. Right. Like, that's what you get out yeah. of it. Yeah, but, like, at least in that movie, anytime it cuts to a human scene, it is basically always Aaron Taylor Johnson, so you're riding along with him mm-hmm. and his journey to get back to his family. That's a simple story, but it, it works. This one, they have 12 or whatever different characters where I'm like, half of you don't want to be here. Some of you, I already forgot what your job is. Like, it, just, it felt like they just bolstered the cast just to have that on the on the billing say look at all these great people we have but you're not going to care about it yeah i i I really hope that the intention was for something a little bit more serious and i don't know if there were reshoots Mm -hmm. or what that was what the case was but i i was a little disappointed and that definitely factored into my rating there um you did love kong though oh yeah and you were all about the action yes but you thought there was there wasn't a whole lot of it no i mean there were three I mean, fights. I mean, yeah, the, the helicopter scene, we had seen all of it in the trailers, basically. So yep. I, while it was cool to see on the big screen, I saw an IMAX 3D, so it looked it looked good. But I, was, I wasn't like, oh, wow, because like, I'd seen it all before. The octopus scene was definitely the one I was like, that, wow, because he's just like slurping it up like spaghettis at the end. And I'm yeah. like, this is <laughs> disgusting, was, but also very awesome. It was, it was almost like endearing to Kong himself. Yeah. That like, and John C. Reilly says, oh, Kong's not that growing, done growing yet. I'm like, yeah. holy cow, this kid, he's like, this is like kid yeah. Kong. Yeah, he's going, he's know? like, he's a teen. He's just like, he needs to fuel up so he can keep growing and right. stuff. Right, so yeah, that was that was really cool. Um, But, and not to jump back to Godzilla, but there was, there was a lack of iconic moment mm-hmm. and like as much as the octopus scene was great as much as his battles with the skull crawlers were really cool there's not one moment in there that i can think about that i'm gonna remember you know like a week from now right whereas godzilla i from the very first time i saw it i still remember godzilla retching open one of those monsters mm-hmm. mouths and then like fire breathing yeah. like right into it like exploding it well that's what i thought during that final fight with the, the the giant skull crawler, the mama skull crawler, whatever you want to call it, I was like, I kept thinking back to King Kong and thinking, oh, he's gonna snap the jaw just like they did in Godzilla, because like not Godzilla and King Kong, because yeah. that's a memorable moment against that fight with the two T Rexes, where Kong just he has enough, he has Naomi Watts' hand throughout the entire thing, and then he just goes and snaps the neck, uh, snaps the jaw, and kills the T Rex. You're like, that was awesome. But this one, like, I don't even remember how they killed the the last skull crawler because it was just so forgettable. I'm pretty. I know Brie Larson shoots it with a flare. Yes, and, and then, then he, he takes it down like with his hands in that chain. Oh yeah, with the, that was, that was, I mean that was kind of cool because like the propeller just like slid its throat basically. I was like, yeah, 
And then... But the I was monster. also like, wait, since when does Kong know how to use weapons and I, stuff? I love the idea of it, though. <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought was cool. Um, but he, the monster comes back after he goes to save Brie Larson from drowning. And that was another problem I had was this... They almost reverted back to what you already knew is Kong likes the girl. Mm-hmm. But there's only two scenes that really... Yeah kind of set that up and one of them is where kong is just completely disinterested in her yeah. the second is oh she pet his nose yeah like, really but anyway he, he saves her reaches his and then the monster bites the hand that's mm-hmm. got Brie larson so then he pulls that one out but with it he no sorry, he pulls that out and with it he brings like the monster's tongue or you no know, throat yeah that, that was disgusting right yeah because that's how that's how he finishes off the skull car right mm-hmm. yeah um yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't love that. I felt that was very forced. That relationship between Brie Larson and Kong, because I mean, I get it. If I was Kong, I would. I would want to be with Larson too. But at the same time, you're a giant monkey, yeah, and it, you don't really have any connection with her. Yeah. So, like, at least in King Kong, and that's the movie. I like. That was one of the things I kept coming back to uh, with this movie when I was trying to give it a grade. It was like, okay, well, what? how does this compare to King Kong? And that might not be a accurate, like a fair thing to do, but it is another Kong movie and I'd give them the same score, but for very different reasons. Um, King Kong, the first hour could be cut and help me a lot. Oh, Cause yeah, that'd be, at least be a two hour movie instead of a three hour movie. Um, but even though I hated Jack Black in his character and I, a lot of that, a lot of those human interactions, I was like, I don't, I don't care. I want to, I just want to see Kong. Like by the end of that movie, I bought into the relationship between Naomi Watts and King Kong. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, like this is like really sad. Yeah, absolutely. But this one, I was like, I don't care. Like kill all these humans. I don't, like, sure. it doesn't matter. It, it, yeah. And it seemed to be the intention of them to establish Kong is like, just mo- like a monster mm-hmm. instead of, you know, play the Beauty and the Beast story, yeah. which we've heard over and over again. And I thought they were, you know, leaving that on the cutting room floor, but they went back to it, and that mm-hmm. that really dug that really dug at my score there. Uh, and the one thing though that I thought was sort of touching was the scene after John C. Riley gets home. They play a little. Looks like it's Super Eight film. Yeah. I think it's something like even less than that. But him coming home to his family and his wife and his meeting his son and things like that. I thought that was sweet. Yeah. Um, we don't hear him say anything, but he finally gets his hot dog and his beer. Yeah. That and was I, funny. That that was my favorite part, even more so than him getting back to his family. Yeah. I did enjoy that. Did you like the hold on to your butts line? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> was, that's his Jurassic Park yeah, line. Yeah, I, I was like, I was like, perfect. Oh, really? Okay, I was kind of surprised they made that reference. Yeah, it was perfect. But uh, uh, it was I, funny. I didn't dig his narration as they were flying through the storm. Yeah, I'm like, okay, Sam, we get it. But I mean, hey, yeah, I, I liked him everywhere else, so I could I let that slide. Can I pitch to you my alternate version of what I would have wanted this movie to be? Given yeah, given the because one thing I'll give this movie a lot of credit for is the mythology it set up with Kong. Yes. And Skull Island where they're like, you know, they, they talk about how the world is basically hollow and there's this entire other world basically within our earth where these giant creatures are roaming around. I'm like, that's insane. That's a crazy theory, but I like it. Um, and what I wish at the end of the movie, I was like, you know, if they're gonna, you know, just, if they just wanted to build up Kong to be this, you know, savior basically, 
I would have loved to see the movie because the movie starts with John C. Riley's plane crashing and a a uh, is it a Japanese guy, a Korean guy. I'm not. Uh, he's Japanese. Japanese, yes. a Japanese pilot. He also crashes, and they're about to fight and kill each other, and then Kong appears or a Kong. We're not sure if it is actually Kong or not, but um, we see him appear, and then the movie stops and jumps forward. 30 years because that happens in 1940 something 42 and then it jumps to 1976 1978 or something whenever this movie takes place yep, the end of the war um and then it picks up from there and we see the events of the movie play out i wish instead of jumping ahead all those years we basically would get the movie of john c Riley and the other pilot surviving on kong skull island or on skull island for all those years seeing maybe even the birth of Kong or at least him growing and learning and like all this stuff seeing cause like they show like the mythology of his parents that they died fighting the skull crawlers and all this stuff. So there's like some really interesting mythology built in there. Sure thing. And if you do that, we have two human characters. You'd probably include the, tr- the native tribe as well. So those people who don't speak, so that's fine. <laughs> doesn't yeah. doesn't add anything. Less background to build. Exactly. Um, but it gives you double, triple, quadruple the amount of monkey action, which is what everybody was going to the theater to see. So I think you would have you could have told the story throughout twenty eight years or whatever, however long John C. Riley's on that island, showing him, you know, learn to live with Kong, interact with him, seeing Kong rise seeing him deal with the death of his parents, you'd actually be treating Kong like a character and not just kind of a side attraction. Um, and he is the headliner of this movie. So if they're going to do a Kong sequel or something, mm-hmm. I would rather them do a Kong prequel and tell that <laughs> okay, story sure. because it actually, I think it would add a lot to this movie in particular if they did that, or it would have given a much better story for Kong specifically. Yeah, I, re- I really like that. I mean, when I mentioned like the history of Skull Island, I thought that was really cool what they did was they basically said eventually those the great primates or whatever they're called um, started being like the protectors of the people. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why they, they worship him or whatever the case may be. And it almost retroactively influences how I watch the, the 2008 Peter Jackson version and you know all those other ones mm-hmm. is because, oh, maybe they're sacrificing... Um, Naomi Watts because he protects them from the dinosaurs on the island. Yeah. That that really changed the way I saw uh, how that all works. But I I could dig, you know, a a buddy survival movie in the the, the shadow of Kong. The the other pilot only lasts like six years, I think, on the island. Or he died six years before Skull Island. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think, again, you have to have a lot of interaction between those guys, but it was mainly that avenue at least gives you three apes to play with for one yes and a mother father son relationship the death of his parents and then how kong deals with that and defeats these skull crawlers so that they stay in the hollow earth and everything totally and that way it sort of creates this way where your second movie is man showing up on the island and saying whoa there's a huge monkey here but then you know in the earlier movie you'd seen two apes and their their little son, you know, you see him in the shadow of these two protecting the island from skull crawlers. Yeah, and that way, as an audience member, we're already connected to this version of Kong. You can get away with lesser of Kong and concentrate more on actually building out these characters. And that way, when they go to attack Skull Island, you're like, 
no, stop. Like, don't, don't fire him. He's like, he's good. Like he's not a monster. Like you go in, you go into the movie knowing that because like everybody knows Kong is not a villain, but it at least it would add another layer to that relationship. And I think it would have helped this movie in particular, uh, and help the universe in, in total moving forward. Yeah. It was a little, it was a little too heavy handed with uh, the metaphors here. Like, you know, if, if the earlier ones were like some kind of thing against imperialism or whatever, mm-hmm. this one was just a little too much, off, a little too much off the top with exploding every part of the island. Yeah. Um, that's about all I've got for the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Good, but not great. Yeah, I would say I would say it's just okay. Um, that's, that's right. You're that's like, than me on the radio. That's like yeah. when my dad asked, like, "Oh, have you seen this movie?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "What do you think?" I was like, "It was okay." He's yeah. like, "He's like, so that means it's not good." I'm like, "It was okay." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sometimes it can be hard to please. Yeah, I mean, and again, like this, uh, I think when we did our most anticipated lists of the year, I think this came in at 14 on mine. So I obviously had very high expectations. It's not going to be anywhere near my top 10 or top 20 or anything, um, unless the rest of this year just turns to crap, which. I can't imagine. Highly <laughs> unlikely. Um, so this does leave us in the position where this is the second installment of what we know to be at least a four film monster verse. Next, we have Godzilla King of the monsters. And then a year later, we have Godzilla vs Kong. Uh, are you excited for the future moving forward? And we did have a post credit scene. I don't know if you want to elaborate. Yeah. I mean, basically what we've got is, um, I think it's, yeah, John C. Riley lays out that there are more monsters out in the world. Is that who it is? No, no it's, it's, a, the monarch. It's, it's Corey Hawkins. Yeah, from the Monarch facility. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically they bring up three of the most iconic Godzilla villains that he's ever faced. Um, King Jidorah, Mothra, and Rodon, all three who um, they were able to access because they got the Kong rights back. And... I'm pretty excited about that, Be- especially King Jidorah, because he's this he's this hydra-like monster with he's the triple-headed dragon, triple-headed right? dragon. Yeah, super cool. Flies like he has wings. Does some like serious flying. Mothra and Rodon, you know, th- th- they're okay, but they're nothing to this thing. And um, I think it I think it leaves the door open for a Godzilla King Kong team up against this guy. Oh yeah. Because he's the most serious monster Godzilla ever faces, um, so so stoked that they basically introduced the idea that these guys are coming up. Yeah, I think there's been rumors that Mothra is supposed to be the villain of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Um, and that I think it, since it's King of the Monsters plural, I would assume there's going to be more than just mo- one monster that he's going to show he's the king of. Um, whether that's the other one, not the king. Um, Rodon. Rodon. I could see that being the possibility. And they save King, whatever, for Godzilla versus Kong. The first half of that yeah. movie is Kong and Godzilla fighting, and then that guy shows up, and then they have to go take down a dragon. That'd be yeah. pretty, you know, pretty follow awesome. The, follow the Batman versus Superman playbook. Exactly. <laughs> I don't, um, I'm just worried about Mothra. I don't know how you adapt a, yeah, a giant a, moth. To make it a threat yeah, to, to Godzilla. Godzilla. I feel like right. he'd just go and he'd just do his fire breath and kill it. Yeah, just it falls dead. Yeah, like, or maybe oh. that's the opening. Yeah, perhaps. but that's a 10-minute movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I was really interested that they, the post credit scene heavily points to a future for Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson and Corey Hawkins and um, the girl from Great Wall as well. Um, I can't remember the name of um, 
that they're going to have some type of role, you would assume, moving forward uh, with Monarch. So do, do you think, are we on the same page that Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is going to also be a prequel to Godzilla? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think Godzilla is going to be, you know, fall right in the steps of it. Uh, it'll probably take place in, like, Australia. Okay. Just because it's out there near the, the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we're going to see the return of Tom Hiddleston's character. Do you think they'll just cast somebody else? Yep. And I've got the perfect person for it. Liam Neeson. <laughs> no. No. Almost, though. Just as good. Awesome. Patrick Stewart. Because he's not yeah. going to be busy. I, I could How def- awesome would that I could, be? I could definitely see that. Yes. That would be awesome. Uh, get Ken Watanabe and Patrick Stewart together to talk about monster fights. That would be It'd so be cool. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. I don't, I don't... Again, I think that does... I think, for me personally... The fact that they're like so heavily showing Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson basically being held against their will to be part of Monarch shows that at some point these characters, at the very least, are going to appear. I like your theory that they could just recast. I'd be more on board for that than having Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston in super old age makeup. Um, But I also think it does open the possibility for them to do a Godzilla prequel where it's him fighting a bunch of monsters. And that's how Monarch kind of starts learning about him we see those initial like nuclear tests against him uh then it builds into That's godzilla right, yeah. and then godzilla vs kong can take place a few years after godzilla and there doesn't have to be two godzilla movies in the present and only one kong movie that takes place in the 70s um even though i do think because they mentioned that he is still growing that godzilla is going to be even or not God, that kong is going to be even bigger Come Godzilla vs. Kong, which they've I got, think should be super awesome. Yeah, they've got 50 years to work with, and we don't know how young Kong exactly. is. I mean, he's he's blo- he's blocking out the sun in one mm-hmm. f- one you know one shot. So whatever whatever his final form is, whatever they go with him stacking up against Godzilla, it's gonna be so awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was trying because there's one shot in the movie where Kong is standing. I think it's right after he lifts the crash helicopter off of that big bull looking thing um and brie larson standing there and she is just this this, like as tall as his big toe yeah and i'm like okay like he's like probably pretty close to the size of godzilla already and when she's like laying across his hand his hand brie larson's probably like five five yeah i think so she just almost fits across it so he's got like a six foot hand Mm -hmm. so yeah giant yeah so, uh, speaking of the Godzilla vs. Kong movie, just very quickly, uh, the Hollywood Reporter revealed that they uh, formed a writing room this week because if there's any movie that needs a lot of writers and dialogue, <laughs> it's a movie about Godzilla and Kong fighting each other. Well, yeah. I mean, um, you got to get the stories to yeah, match up. I guess. I get, yeah, I hear uh, you, though. The people involved are Terry Rossio from Pirates of the Caribbean, Patrick McKay and J.D. Payne, from who uh, co-wrote Star Trek Beyond, Lindsay Beer from The King Killer Chronicles, Kat Vasco from Queen of the Air, T.S. Nowlin from the Maze Runner movies, uh, Jack Paglin from Alien Covenant, and J. Michael Straczynski from World War Z. Well, I mean, it's not like those are movies where the dialogue is super important either. Yeah. It all seems universe-building. It's not like I mean, it's not like they picked up some famous screenwriter like 
uh, I don't know. Yeah, Aaron not, Sorkin. That's what I was going to say. It's not like Aaron Sorkin's writing this movie. So <laughs> it's it's all about cohesive and a good story as much as it is. Uh, what should he say right here to really dig at this relationship? Yeah, I think I think this roar should have yeah. four W's um, <laughs> instead of three. Like, can, 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 can his inflection be just a little bit higher? Yeah. to connote a question. <laughs> why, would God, why, why would he be asking a question? Yeah. I don't know. Can okay. we put subtitles in this so the audience can understand? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think you need you, to think too hard about a movie where Godzilla and Kong are going to fight each other and then eventually team up to fight an even bigger monster. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> Just put them on screen a lot and people will be happy. Um, so before we head out and preview what's coming next week, we do have a rev- we do have a special giveaway related to Kong Skull Island. You can win a Kong Skull Island poster. Um, all you have to do is go to Twitter and retweet our review with the links that have the that have our iTunes and SoundCloud links in them. Um, they'll I'll make a note. We'll make a note of it in our Twitter that to retweet. To which quote or which tweet to retweet, uh, and you can also do the same thing on Facebook by sharing um, the episode on Facebook as well. Just share it there, uh, and if you haven't done so, like us on there as well. Um, if you want to, we'll give you even two entries if you quote or share it, and you share your rating for the film as well. So uh, a couple different ways you can win. Do those. Uh, if you want to win the poster and cause I mean, it is a cool poster regardless of how good the movie is. Um, it's a, it's a very cool poster because it's just Kong standing there, the sun behind him. See a lot of little people. Super dope. So do it. Uh, if you want to win, but that's it for this episode next week, we're going to be reviewing beauty and the beast. That's right. Yeah, the movie I'm still on the fence about, mm-hmm. just because I, I still am not digging the CG about the Beast, but Emma Watson is talented and great, and I'm interested to see La Josh Gad as Lafoe and all of the music because that's still, you know Gaston's the praise the Ode to Gaston is mm-hmm. still one of my favorite Disney songs ever, and I can't not wait to see that brought to life on you know in a live action scene. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I want to go back. I'm going to revisit Beauty and the Beast, the animated movie, either before or after I see the movie, uh, just to see how it kind of stacks up. But, I mean, I'm looking forward to this. I think I put it at number 15 on my most anticipated list uh, for this year, basically only because it's a Disney live-action movie, and they haven't. They've had a very good track record of late. Uh, I love The Jungle Book, and I really like Cinderella. So, I think this... I would assume this is going to be another good one, but I feel the reviews have been somewhat divisive so far. I feel like people who are in love with the animated movie are basically like, this is the animated movie, but I don't like the beast as much or something. Mm. Like there's just like, like some complaints and they don't like the movie as much, but then people who don't have as big of a connection to the animated movie, they've liked it a lot more. Beauty and the Beast is a great movie animated, but I mean, it's not one of my favorite you know, of Disney's live action stuff. Cause that's just not a movie I constantly watched. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see how they're going to, you know, basically reinvent Stockholm syndrome for like, you know, for the right. 21st century. So I, I think, it, I think it should be, uh, should be good. So, I mean, I, I think this movie is going to make a lot of money, uh, at the box office. So we'll have to tune it. You'll have to tune in next week to hear our review of Beauty and the Beast. Um, but that's it for this episode. So be sure to, uh, tell us your thoughts on everything we covered this week by tuning us at Friends and Film. 
where you'll receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, you can head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review with comments. Tell us what we uh, do really well that keep you coming back and checking out every single episode or uh, what we could do better so we can keep you coming back every episode. Uh, Also, be sure to follow the instructions to enter to win the poster next week. We'll announce that uh, on next week's show. Um, That's it, Josh. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Be sure to next week for our view of Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast.